When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Attention, Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to another fright-filled episode. I trust you all managed to survive last week without me. I apologize for the absence, but my short little break was quite nice. I caught my breath, caught up on some lingering tasks, and even got to leave town for a couple of days. I'll have more on that here in a little bit. For now, let's dive into the action. Beginning with an entry from the Empire State. Brad, welcome to tonight's program. Hey Derek, my name's Brad and I'm calling from Medford, Massachusetts, but my story takes place in upstate New York, uh, western New York, near Batavia. This was just last week and... It was uh, April 29th, and it was a sunny day. My brother and I were driving on the New York State Thruway. We were headed eastbound, headed towards Rochester, but we were still a little bit west of Rochester, right around Batavia, and it's all farmland out there. Not a lot, you know, in terms of geographic milestones. So some of the distances that we observed, you know, I'm not sure about, but anyway, we were driving eastbound on the New York State Thruway, right around Batavia, like I said, and it was a sunny day. Really not a cloud in the sky. It was beautiful. And I was driving, and I, I looked up and kind of to my left, and I saw, again, you know, it's just a guesstimate, but probably about 500 feet in the air, maybe about two miles off in the horizon or so, I saw this little tiny, almost looked like a tic-tac. It was oval-shaped, and it mostly just had a glare, like a, like the sun was reflecting off of it. But it was sort of a, a tiny little shape, 
had a little part in the middle that looked like a white sort of ball almost. So we're talking like a, a cylindrical shape that was very reflective. But then in the middle of it was like a tiny little white ball. And it just sort of hovered there. And it looked like it wasn't moving. My brother was in the passenger side next to me. And I said to him, I was like, hey, look at, look at that. And we both were watching it for at least two minutes or three minutes or so. And at first we thought it might be a drone, but it was so still in the sky. You know, most drones that I've seen do have some amount of, I don't know, just, you know, turbulence. Like they, they, they seem to move around a little bit. And this was perfectly still. But it wasn't still, though, because as we kept driving, again, we had our eyes on it for probably about three or four minutes. As we kept driving, it didn't ever get any closer to us. It remained at a distance. And so we both sort of thought that it wasn't changing altitude, but it might have been changing sort of distance, you know, uh, east to west or north to south or something like that. And anyway, so we were just watching it and we were both like, what is that? And we kind of first thought of the drone and then it looked too silvery and stationary for us to be a drone that, that we're aware of. Anyway, we were watching it for a couple of minutes you know, I was driving, so I sort of had to take my eyes off of whatever it was in the sky. I had to take my eyes off of it in order to drive. And my brother says, I lost it. And I looked back and it was just gone. And this is like wide open farmland and airspace, like the, the you know, the horizon, I could, you know, it was so far away in the distance, like you could just see for miles and miles. And in the span of about five or 10 seconds, my brother just he lost it. And when I looked back, it was just gone. So in the span of about five seconds, it just completely disappeared. We weren't scared, but we both sort of were really sort of remarking on how just unusual it was. I don't know. We found it really interesting. And I'd like to think that I'm a believer in these things, but I've never seen any proof. But this is for sure the closest proof that I've seen to some type of like UFO and I was just excited by it, and I hope you can use this story. Have a good day. Thanks, Brad, for sharing the entry. Now, I'm probably wrong here, but based on what Brad is describing, it almost sounds like a distant Goodyear blimp to me. That blimp shape is consistent with what was reported. The stationary position of the craft does as well. And even the bright white center can be explained by the video screen that's now mounted on the side of these things. And I did check the schedule. The NHL's Buffalo Sabres played the Chicago Blackhawks that evening. To a 3-2 overtime victory. I was not able to determine if the Goodyear blimp, which is stationed not far from there, in northwest Ohio, was in attendance that evening. Now maybe somebody out there knows how to check that detail. Maybe someone has access to past schedules of that particular blimp. If that's you, get at me. Otherwise, I can't help but think that sounds like a perfect match. But as I always say, I was not there. So maybe the brothers could see some detail there that would completely rule out that explanation. So instead, I searched the other end of this sighting spectrum and found that Brad and his bro weren't the only ones to witness something strange in that area. The following news report was taken back in 2015. It comes to us courtesy of WIVB, 
CW News 4, out of Buffalo. May 5th, 9.05 p.m., West Seneca, New York. This was very unusual. Something in the night sky caught Gene Gonzalez's attention. A red, round light. It stopped, dead stop, and it turned green. He quickly summoned his wife, Sue. I was like, oh my goodness. To come outside and see it. So you couldn't watch it travel. It just moved and was in a different location. What did it look like to you? Just like a circle? Or? It was a circle. Right. What do you think? I mean, what, what do you think it could have been? Um, just no way of knowing? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Definitely a unidentified light. Right. Right. But definitely not a spotlight, not a helicopter, not a blimp, not a plane. So I really don't know what it could be. Now, the location of this experience is a mere 30 miles to the west of where Brad had his encounter. And just in case 30 miles isn't close enough for you, this brief report was printed in the Batavian, a local online newspaper, back in September of 2020. A local farmer reports seeing this triangular-shaped object flying over his fields last night at about 8.45. He said he posted about it on Facebook, and at least one other person said they saw something, too. And one person sent him this photo. Do you see anything? Now, you can find a link to that photo in the show notes. But it essentially shows three blurry lights hovering in the sky. A center orangish yellow light, somewhat shaped like a football. And two smaller, white, spotlight-type lights shooting off the bottom of the main light, forming somewhat of a triangle shape. And that's the thing about most of these sightings that I'm finding in this area. A majority of them seem to be depicting some sort of triangle-shaped craft, typically with orange or yellow lights. Not unlike what was witnessed that evening by a terrified Batavia farmer. Now there's plenty there to dive into. Northwest Pennsylvania and Northeast Ohio, too, are flush with similar sightings. So perhaps it's something regional to the Eastern Lake Erie area. Either way, we appreciate you sharing your experience with us, Brad. And let that be a lesson to everyone else. Always keep your eyes to the skies. Now, if you're like Brad and you saw something strange you just can't explain, why not give us a call? 888-608-NIGHT That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or simply shoot us a pre-recorded message from your cell phone to monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now speaking of listener-submitted entries, here is the next one, courtesy of Tyler in Indiana. Hi, my name is Tyler. I'm from a little town in northwest Indiana called Denham. I'd call it more of a village than a town. But anyway, the story is about, uh, well, it's a few stories, actually, about a house that I grew up in. So pretty much this house, every one of my friends know that it's haunted. My mom knows it's haunted. Some of my family does, too. But I just kind of want to go over some of the stories. And uh, I'll start from the earliest one I can remember, which is from when I was about 12 years old. It was in my room, and I was upstairs in my room laying down asleep. And I slept at the foot of my bed to sleep close to my fan because we had no air conditioning in this old house. 
and I was upstairs, so it was super hot, middle of the night during the summer, and I woke up out of my sleep for no reason whatsoever. And I look over, and the way the stairs come up, there was no like privacy in that room at all, but I still it was still my room. But the way the stairs come up, it was open, so you could just look over and see the stairs and see a railing and the stairs going down. And I look over, and there's a white apparition standing at the top of my stairs looking at me, and it just walks down the stairs while looking at me the whole time. So that's the earliest experience I can remember in the house. There's been more little things, but I'll go over some of the more major things. There was a time when I was in the downstairs area of the home, and the way that it was set up was there was a kitchen, and there was a bedroom that my mom slept in, and I was in her bedroom on her bed, and you could see out into the kitchen. And the kitchen had a window opening to the outside by a road, which maybe had five people drive on it every day. So not very many people are on this road at all, right? Anyway, we're sitting there on her bed, and it's just her, her ex-boyfriend, and her, well, it was her boyfriend at the time. And we were sitting there, and um, we start hearing moaning coming from the upstairs, and we're like, well, we know the house is haunted, whatever. And this happens two or three times, right? And we just kind of let it go, whatever, we know. We get it. And then all of a sudden, there's a big white apparition. Again, another one just comes by the, through the doorway, and we all three saw it. And we all three can confirm what we saw. So it wasn't just me. It wasn't just her. It was three separate witnesses to the same event. Uh, we all saw it. And then there's another story secondhand from my mom when I was in high school. I had just left, and she saw me off to school and was up doing her thing in the morning, whatever. And she's really always been a stickler about keeping the lights off, you know, keeping down the electric bill because we grew up pretty poor. So what happened was in my upstairs, they had a radio and apparently she had thought that I left the radio on. And she went upstairs to go turn it off, kind of angry because she always tells me to turn stuff off so we don't waste money. And she goes upstairs and she looks up that railing that I was talking about earlier that's open up there and she saw a pair of feet. Now, mind you, that's just her and I in this house. Nobody else lives there with us at this time. And she sees a pair of feet and legs attached to it, but doesn't look up, gets freaked out, sees the feet, the music stops, and she just walks back downstairs like, nope, <laughs> I am not dealing with that right now. But the music part is, is relevant, and I'll get to that a little later on in my call here. There's another incident where my mom was with a different guy at the time. And he was this really big, burly construction guy, you know, wasn't really afraid of much, really skeptical, didn't really believe in a lot of that kind of stuff. And so he's he's down in the basement area. And the way the basement's set up, you actually have to use a ladder to get in the basement. That's how old this house is. You actually have to use a ladder. And it's more like a crawl space. That's, they had what's called a Michigan basement where the, the basement is just sand. Anyway, he's down there. He's trying to move stuff around and fix stuff up and clean up and getting ready to do some major work. And I'm outside moving stuff from inside, outside, cleaning up. And I walk outside and around the house, and I don't actually hear what happened. But I come back in, and this man is scrambling, trying to get up from this like crawl space slash basement area on this ladder. And there's stuff in the way. There's pipes everywhere because it's old and He's scrambling up as I walk inside and he gets out of there. And this is a really outdoorsy man. His face is pretty red from being outside. He's a white guy, but his face is really red from being outside all the time. And his face is just pale as a ghost. And I, I'm asking him, I'm like, what, what happened? Are you all right? And 
him and my mom both said that they heard somebody saying something from the basement along the lines of get out or in my mom's words it sounded like this is where i died so it's one of those two but that's what they tell me that they heard either way they both heard it and were both freaked out so that's another incident there was another incident with my cousins and their family they were over it's my two adult cousins and their two kids at the time and my mom had a little dog at this time and they were over to had dinner and they were just kind of hanging out you know and they were sitting in the living room and those stairs that I had mentioned in my previous stories lead down to the living room slash kitchen area. And as they're all sitting there, my mom's doing whatever she's doing in the kitchen. I'm doing whatever I'm doing in another room. And it's just them in the living room kind of hanging out as a family. And they end up leaving really early in a hurry. And come to find out later, within the next week or so, they had ended up leaving early because they saw something white apparition again walk up these stairs and my dog was just staring at it growling so my dog saw it my two adult cousins and their two kids their two kids saw it and their kids are you know mid teenagers like 15 16 at the time so they're not just little kids they're all old enough to know that what they saw was not right so why the music part of my story is relevant is because my mom decided to do some digging at, a, at our local county library and find out some dates. And the house was constructed over 150 years ago. No exact date on its construction. But what's interesting about it is there's a picture, an old picture. And the picture is of someone sitting on the front porch of the house. And they have what looks to be some primitive like headphones on and some sort of early music playing device. I don't exactly know what it was, but that part's interesting because if you remember earlier in my story, there was a music part of it. When my mom had walked upstairs and heard the music. So when she saw that, it freaked her out. It absolutely freaked her out. But in closing, nothing about the house was ever really evil. Never really felt scared. It was always just there. It just let us know it's there. So. Anyway, I really love the podcast. I'm a new listener, so um, keep up the good work. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. How cliche. A moaning white apparition moving down the staircase. Something straight out of a Dickens novel or a mid-century horror film. But you know what they say about cliches. They're often cliches because they're a common occurrence. And they also say that Hollywood mimics real life. Or maybe I have that backwards. Either way, it sounds like a classic ghost that you have there, Tyler. And while I don't have time to focus on each of Tyler's ghostly run-ins, I do get a kick out of the story involving the cousins. I can just picture them all sitting on the couch when the spirit makes its way through the room. And I'd like to imagine that they all looked at each other in silent agreement before they decided to get the hell out of there. And that's exactly what it sounds like they did. And that's great stuff, Tyler. So thank you again for taking the time to share here with us. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel stretched too thin? I think it's safe to say we all feel overwhelmed by life from time to time. Sometimes the attention I give myself versus the time I spend on others just isn't always balanced out. And I'm guilty of getting caught up in work or projects or leaving little time for myself to relax. 
that's when burnout sets in. But I've found therapy is a great way to help me make time for myself. It allows me time to express and reflect on my thoughts and encourages more balance in my life. Well, let's face it, if we don't prioritize our mental health, it's hard to be present for others when they need us. Now, if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which makes it convenient, flexible, and affordable. And if for some reason you aren't vibing with your therapist that you're matched with, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Back to those three men in the driveway. Now, real quick before I continue. I made an obvious mistake on the last recent episode. Season 15, episode 10. I'd somehow missed when Ray's Bigfoot shadow story took place, even though he clearly mentioned it in the call. This is why those breaks are needed, folks just to keep me sharp. It was an embarrassing blunder, but I've spoken with Ray about it, and I think we're good. Now everyone can stop sending me messages about it. But do send me messages like this next one. Please welcome back to the show a familiar voice, and one of my favorite repeat offenders. He's typically reserved for hometown legend episodes, but here he is with a story of his own. Please welcome previous Amongst the Award winner, Alan, from Texas, to the show. Hi, Derek. This is Alan from Texas. I was just listening to the latest uh, Monsters Among Us, and there was a story about a guy who was followed by lights in his car, and it reminded me of something from my past when I was a teenager. This story doesn't have anything paranormal or supernatural in it, but it I guess it could be considered kind of a cautionary tale. Back then, this would happen in the early 80s, sometime around 1980, 81, because I had my driver's license by this time. Me and a friend of mine, uh, I won't use his real name, I'll just call him Jim. During the winter, we would go uh, hunting at night on uh, weekend nights, like Friday and Saturday night, hunting for raccoons with spotlights. We had these spotlights that uh, ran on batteries. The light was on a strap, and you would strap it around your head so that wherever you looked, the light would shine that way. And we had painted the uh, lens cover of these lights with red fingernail polish to make a red light because many animals can't see red light, or at least they can't see it as well as a plain white light. But it will still make the animal's eyes shine. But I also had this other spotlight that had been given to me by someone who said he bought it in, a, in an army surplus store, I think. And uh, he said he thought it was uh, originally used probably by the Air Force to uh, signal airplanes coming in for a landing. It was the kind that uh, you plug into your cigarette lighter. It ran on 12 volts DC. So it ran on the car battery. And it was extremely bright. And it would throw a very clearly defined beam at a very great distance and it it came in its own box and it had a yeah it had four colored lenses that came with it there was a purple one a red yellow and green i understand kind of the red yellow and green you know stop slow and go 
I, I don't know why it had a purple lens also. But these would just clip over the front of the light so that it would cause a colored beam of light to come out instead of a plain white light. And it had a trigger-style switch on the handle that you could switch on and off very easily while you were holding it and pointing it. If you pushed it down just part way, it would come on and then you could release it and it would turn off. And if you pulled it down all the way, it would like lock into place and stay on until you uh, pulled the, the trigger switch again and it would release and, and then you could turn it off, that kind of thing. So we were driving home after we had finished uh, one night. It, so it would have been pretty late. It was probably after midnight. I was driving because I was the one with the license. It was my truck. And Jim was sitting over on the passenger seat and, uh, we hit, we had to go down a stretch of highway that was only maybe two miles long before we got to the old dirt road that we both lived down. And just because there was nothing else to do, he broke out that big spotlight and plugged it in and aimed it up at the sky. Now, that night the cloud cover was very dense. It was like the sky was covered with these, uh, very low clouds they were kind of like dark bluish purple on the bottom that kind of thing you know cumulonimbus clouds i guess is what they're called the ones with the really flat kind of bottoms and he aimed this light up at the sky at those clouds and when he hit the switch it it, it made this this beautiful clear white circle right on the bottom of the clouds it, it looked really impressive and he, like, moved it back and forth so it looked like it was moving back and forth across the sky. And then he would, like, flick that switch on and off. I think that switch was made that way so that you could signal in Morse code if you had to. And so he would blink the light a little bit and then move it. <laughs> and I was looking out my window, the driver's side window, as he was doing it. And uh, there was no other traffic on this road that late at night. Back then there was really no traffic on that highway at that time of the night. There was no other cars. So I said, wow, that's really cool. Try it with the colored lenses. So he started getting out the different lenses, and he'd snap one on and shine it up at the clouds and move it back and forth. So there, were, there would be a, this purple circle of light flashing back and forth across the sky on the bottom of those clouds. And then, you know, he, he went through the whole collection of lenses, the red, yellow, and green and everything. And... It looked really cool. And then uh we finally got to the dirt road that we lived down, and he unplugged it and put it back in the box. And He lived about a, a mile up the road from me, so I dropped him off at his house on my way down, and I went home and, and went to bed. And that was, that was it. Didn't really think any more of it. Uh, like I said, this would have been like on a Friday or a Saturday night. So uh the next Monday, uh, we both rode the same school bus to school, and we got on the bus, and... uh a couple miles down the highway from where we got on, there was another guy who got on. I'll just call him John. And when John got on the bus, he was looking at us like he had this weird expression on his face. <laughs> and he said, man, I got a story for y'all. And uh, we both knew that John and his dad and a couple of other relatives would do a lot of night hunting also. Except uh, they did most of their hunting on the other side of the highway from where we had been. And he said... We was out hunting, and uh, and we saw these lights in the sky, and they were all different colors. First it was white, and then it started turning purple and red and yellow and green, and and they would go back and forth across the sky, and then they would flash on and off. 
it was the weirdest thing I ever seen. <laughs> and me and Jim just looked at each other and, uh, I almost lost it. I almost started laughing, but I was trying to tell Jim with just my eyes, you know, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> and so, you know, I just said, wow, that's really weird, man. Do you know what it was? And he goes, no, we couldn't figure it out. It was just the weirdest thing. These colored lights just flashing back and forth across the sky. So we let it go at that. Of course, he had to tell some other people about it when we all got to school. So it was kind of this thing that was going around school that day about John seeing these colored lights in the sky. Well, in the afternoons, instead of riding the bus home, I would just walk a few blocks down to my grandmother's house where my grandmother lived with her sister, my aunt. And uh, I had another friend who lived really close to them uh, within sight of that house. And he had a basketball hoop set up in his driveway and a lot of the times i would just go to his house and we would shoot baskets or play horse or whatever and i could watch for my dad to come pick me up because i could see when he got to my aunt's house because it was so close and within sight so we were over there shooting baskets <laughs> that day and uh and i said hey man did you hear that story about john seeing those weird lights in the sky today and he goes oh yeah i heard something about it. i figured they were all drunk or something <laughs> and I said, no, man, it was me. It was me and Jim. And I told him the whole story about the spotlight and the color lenses and everything. And he was already laughing hard before I even finished the story. And uh, I was laughing, too, because it was pretty funny. I still think it's funny. And he goes, so you ever going to tell him? And I said, nah, I'm just going to let it go and let him have it. You know, let him have a little mystery. <laughs> and uh, by the next day, it, it was over. It never became an issue, and nobody ever really talked about it again. But that's the whole story. The other guy's story reminded me of that, so I thought I would just tell it. So uh, I enjoy the podcast very much, and thank you very much. You know, I often wonder how many of these stories have origins just like Alan's story did. Thank you, Alan. You know, my dad has his own ongoing UFO saga that's unfolding at his place. He has a bright white light that sits atop the ridge to the west of his house. Now he said it's not always there, and that it sometimes moves. Sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. And he sent me a couple photographs, but the iPhone just doesn't do it justice. But you know, I can't help but wonder if he's fallen victim to a drone pilot or a trickster that lives on the hill. I certainly wouldn't put that past anyone from my hometown. Now I'll keep everyone posted as his story develops. And speaking of development, how many of you are following the Vegas alien story? Apparently back in May, a couple of cops saw a strange object fall to the ground in Las Vegas, Nevada. Moments later, a panicked family called 911 to report two or three strange, tall, green creatures with glowing eyes in their backyard. Now this sounds crazy, but there are some details here that make it interesting. The cops seemed to take this case seriously. They even showed up on scene to investigate within the hour. There's a circular mark in the family's backyard where something large and round touched down in the dirt. The family claims that security footage taken of the event was damaged, scrambled, or deleted. But only that short portion. The rest of the footage seemed to be okay and strange men in suits and sunglasses were seen outside the home, sitting in dark vehicles. 
Now, the other day, I made a comparison video that we posted on our social media and over at YouTube regarding a 65-year-old case from here in Southern California that seemed eerily similar. Be sure to check out our social media accounts or our YouTube page to catch that bonus material. And I'll keep my eye on that story as it develops. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something intriguing about this story. Now, as things often do, the story broke when I was up in the mountains of Southern California doing a little camping. And I feel like that sort of stuff always happens to me. When I'm dark or out of town, something big will break. For example, while we were there, some whistleblower essentially claimed that our government is hiding UFO crashes from us. Yeah, no shit, pal. Listeners of this program have known that information for nearly a decade now. Do they really think that they're hiding? Well, there's lots going on in the UFO world right now. But I want to talk about something here on Earth. Something flesh and blood. Something terrestrial. At least we think. This past week, Sarah and I ventured up to Idlewild, California. A small mountain town in Riverside County. An hour or so east of San Diego. Now, neither of us have ever been there, and I'm ashamed that it's taken me that long, because it's a delightful little town. And it's a town with a legend. The story goes that in the mountains surrounding the town of about 3,000 lurks a beast of epic proportions. Seven, eight, nine feet tall, covered in long, shaggy brown hair. And the creature is as elusive as it is mysterious. They call him the Idle Beast, and from down the hill he might appear as a bloodthirsty mountain devil, but at altitude, he's just another resident. The beast himself has been spotted all over town, but few can agree on what kind of animal the beast really is, or if he really exists at all. Some say there's a population of these giant hominids living in these mountains since the beginning of time. Others say it's a misidentified bear or coyote. Some say it's a hoax, a man in a fursuit. Others say it's a projection of the collective unconscious, that if it didn't exist, we would imagine it because we need to have a reminder of our kinship to the natural world. The people of Idlewild are by and large very connected to the natural world, and many of the locals are quite used to being visited by the idol beast. I didn't even know he was on the deck uh, the first couple of times he was there. You know, we get a lot of strange people here anyway. Um. Cafe Aroma waitress Shanae Aikens-Johnson was quite frightened the first time she encountered the shadowy beast looking for food on the deck, but he was gone as soon as she could react. Really big, furry, covered in hair from head to toe, and just looks like, almost like a big shadow. You can't like really see him. David Jerome never discounts anyone's sighting of the idol beast, especially at a cafe. A lot of the restaurants do have really good food here, yeah, so it's quite likely. Now that story property of KPSB, CBS News 2 out of Palm Springs. And as you can tell, the idol beast doesn't take himself too seriously. Something I sort of knew ahead of time, but really began to realize once we made our visit up there. And while he may seem to be a folktale of sorts, that certainly doesn't stop the town from embracing their legend. 
and that doesn't stop folks from reporting things either. Strange things in the thick pines, just outside of town. Now when we made it back to home base, I scoured my files and found one such report, a submission made from an anonymous visitor to the area. And he wrote as follows. My wife and I were staying at a cabin in Idlewild, California back in May of 2022 for our fifth wedding anniversary. The first night we were there, we decided to sit on the balcony to have a drink and look at the stars. We sat down to enjoy the stars, but after a few minutes, we started to hear a singing howling that started to grow in intensity. It was a bit jarring as we couldn't figure out what it was. We are not strangers to the outdoors, so animal noises don't bother us, but this was something different. After a minute or so, I thought, I wish I could record this. Then I remembered that I had a recorder app on my phone, so I fumbled for it and opened the app and hit record. But I only captured the very tail end, and the rest were dogs in the area going crazy over the sounds. My wife and I decided to go back to the cabin in July of 2022. This time I purchased a nice digital recorder with omnidirectional mics, windscreen, and I rigged it to run off a power bank. This night we captured something remarkable. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And thank you, Derek, for the show. I've been a fan since season two and a Patreon member for a few years now. Keep up the good work and I'll keep you posted on what else I uncover. A big thanks to that submitter for writing in. Now that entry was edited for time. And in one of the sections that was omitted, the submitter mentioned that audio experts took a listen to the files. And a wolf was their closest match. Now keep that in mind as you listen to one of the files our listeners sent in. I'll play the original first, then my enhanced version second. Now, believe it or not, that's not the only howling submission I'd received from the Idlewild area. Another Amongst the Award winner and longtime supporter, Eddie from California, also experienced the howls. Now, for those of you wondering what an Amongst the is, we held an award presentation a while back for some of our biggest supporters. We had trophies and everything, just like the Dundies from The Office, only a little more shoestring. And I think that's something we need to do again here real soon. But first, here's Eddie from my state of California. Hey, Derek, this is Eddie from San Diego. 
a long-time listener, Patreon. Got a short, sweet one. About four months ago, December 2022, rented a cabin over in Idlewild area, place right next door called Pine Cove. Now, it was about 8 in the morning, and we heard, my sister and I, I was with my wife and my sister, we heard what sounded like a little mini uh, Ohio howl. So we got really excited, you know, asked my sister if she heard it. Yes, kind of like Bigfoot. Very excited. But I didn't have any uh, recording device with me. Didn't have my phone at that moment. So we're hanging around after breakfast. Comes to be about 10 o'clock a.m. And we hear it again. So we rush out on the porch with the dogs. I started recording on my phone. The recording we got, it's about a minute long. Every 10 seconds or so, you hear this howl. And uh, we're like, that's like an Ohio howl, a bit softer. So it sounded like it was from far away. I'll pause here and you can play it. Now that you've heard it, let me uh, debunk this. I contacted the uh, Airbnb host of the cab and I said, you know, it was a great stay, but, uh, you know, I, I wish you would have mentioned that there was Bigfoot in the area. That would have been a draw. And he goes, oh, that's pretty funny because we have a neighbor down the road who has two wolves, two pet wolves, and they, they howl all the time. So we got a big chuckle out of that. And, uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't Bigfoot, but these howls, you know, are probably something a lot of people may have heard and mistaken for uh, Bigfoot. But uh, it was very exciting during its time. Uh, a little disappointing to get debunked. Anyway, that's the story. Love the show. Keep it up and keep it spooky. Bye, Derek. Thanks, Eddie, for ruining the fun for everyone and giving us a perfect example of how not everything is what it seems to be. Those howls had my hair standing on end as well. And I suppose for good reason. Wolves are majestic and monstrous, and would certainly stick out any place like Idlewild. But regardless of all that, the community still embraces its monster. And I have to get behind that. Thanks for a fun couple of days, Idlewild. And thank you, gentlemen, for the submissions. Now, folks, this next one is just as uplifting as it is creepy. Please join me in welcoming Linda from Canada to the program. Hi, it's Linda from Barrie, Ontario, Canada. This story is about messages from the other side. About 13 years ago, my girlfriend's son-in-law passed away with cancer. Shortly after he passed away, I had a psychic reading, and at the end, he asked me if I had any questions. And I thought, oh, what can I ask? What can I ask? So then I said, oh, do you have any messages from Henry for his family? And the psychic said, yes. She said he wanted the family to know that he likes the picture, and he sends birds. And I thought, 
okay, means absolutely nothing to me, but thank you, I'll pass it on. So I called my friend, and I told her that I had had this call with a psychic, and um, I told her the message, and she kind of went quiet, and then she said, oh, my God. She said when we were getting ready for the funeral, there was a big fight in the family about what picture to select to put on top of the coffin at the funeral. His wife had wanted this particular picture, so that's the one that they went with. So he liked that picture. And then she said she'd had a phone call with her daughter, who is the, the widow, and she said, Mom, you're not going to believe it. She said, ever since I cleaned out the shed after Henry died, every freaking bird in town is in my backyard. I don't know what to do. Moving on from that, my friend then one day called in sick for work for one reason or another, and she was listening to her iPod that Henry had put all the music on for her, picked all of her favorite music and so on. And a song came on that she had never heard. And she thought, oh, Henry's put one of his funny songs on here that he likes. And then she heard this rocket outside. She lives out in the country on a farm, a 200-acre farm. And she looked out the window, and there were birds on the backyard everywhere. And she thought, oh, my God, this is after I had given her the message. So she thought, okay, this is spooky. So she moved from the living room and went to the kitchen and looked out the window, and it's like the birds all flew up, moved to the left, their left, her right, and settled back down again in front of her in the kitchen. And she then went to the back porch, and they did the same thing. They moved up, they moved over to the right, and sat back down again in front of her. And then she said, okay, Henry, I see you. Thanks for coming to visit. See you later. And then all the birds got up and flew away. So, very spooky, very strange. She still remembers it to this day, and this was like 13 years ago. So I thought that was kind of a little spooky hello. And the song that my friend heard on her iPod, she never could find it again on her iPod. She looked at the full list of songs. She never found it. She doesn't know where the song came from, and she's never heard it again on her iPod. And one other note... When Henry died, his little boy was two, and he used to see his daddy until he was about four, and they just kind of accepted whatever he saw and just kind of went along with it without freaking out. But one day he was standing in the living room at the farmhouse, and he looked behind a chair and went, oh, there's daddy. He can't have lunch with us. He has to go. Oh, he's thrown away now. So he would see his dad on a regular basis when he was little. And that is the end of that story. Thanks. Bye. Love your show. Thanks, Linda, for sharing the story. Now, one of these occurrences would be a coincidence. Two would be admittedly strange. But all of these experiences occurring together, that almost has to mean something, right? Of course, that is the thing about coincidences, though. By definition, they're supposed to seem strange. And I obviously don't know which it is here for this case. But I do think it makes for a great story. So thank you again, Linda, for taking the time to call it in. Now, folks, before I push play on this final submission, <clears throat> allow me to remind you that you can pick up official Monsters Among Us merchandise over at our shop. Visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click the Shop tab to get instant access to all sorts of paranormal swag. Again, that's MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and smash that shop tab. 
Now, to close us out this evening, we venture to the island state of Hawaii. Celise, welcome aboard. Hi, my name is Celise. I wanted to call in this story a few weeks ago because you shared someone's story who had an experience with a shadow person and you specifically asked if anyone else had ever had a shadow person encounter that included communication. This happened to me almost 20 years ago. It happened in Hawaii. I was lucky, kind of, (laughs) to be able to stay in a hotel that is very expensive that I probably would never pay for myself. I was staying there with my sister and her two kids. When I walked into the hotel room, you know, we excitedly kind of spread out and kind of were checking out the whole place. And I kept kind of looking for where I was going to stay them. And I found an extra room at the end. And as soon as I walked in there, I thought, this is wrong. This is not supposed to be here. But it was obviously there. So I just kind of tried not to worry about it. And it was set up like a little living room. So I figured, okay, I'll sleep on this little couch and we'll get straight to the beach in the morning. So I set up all my stuff and there was a sliding door that led to that little room, almost like if you're gonna go out to your patio, but it was a fully enclosed room. So I was sleeping on that couch and at some point in the middle of the night, those sliding doors opened and I remember being really irritated because the AC that was blasting inside the room was starting to hit me. I don't like being cold at night. So it caught my attention right away. And I just kept looking at that door and thinking, I want to get up and close it. But I was too lazy for a second. And then all of a sudden, this man walked in and he walked straight into the corner. And he was all the way across the room from me, facing perpendicular to me. And I'm looking at him and wondering why he's there. And fear started to build up in me, even though at first it was just curiosity. And I don't know how it started off with curiosity because there should not have been a man there. So why was I okay with it for a second? But he went straight into the corner and there was a little table in the corner with like a drape over the top of it. And he was moving that tablecloth and like searching underneath the table. And I started to get more and more scared. And just as I started to try to figure out exactly what he looked like, I realized that I wasn't even looking at him. I was looking straight up at the ceiling because I could not even turn my head to look at him. And even though I couldn't turn my head to look at him, I still know exactly what he looked like and what he was doing. And I started to freak out and panic and I was trying to get up and I couldn't move. I couldn't yell, I couldn't scream. I was struggling so hard, but I couldn't turn to look at him. He got really kind of annoyed with me, not in an angry, hateful kind of way, like I've heard a lot of people say with shadow stories, but he was more like just annoyed that I was even there. And he said to me, Stop trying to look at me. I'm not here for you. And of course, I'm still freaking out. So after a little while, when it finally ended, my body flew off that couch, like with the force that I was trying to move that whole time, like I was finally free. And I just flew up and I turned to where he was and he was gone. And when I see it in my head, it's 
just a shadow man, like crouched down, rummaging through whatever was under the table. But I know that I was never able to turn and look at him during this whole experience. I was frozen, paralyzed, stuck on the couch, completely staring at the ceiling. But yet I know what he looks like and I feel like I saw him and I feel like he talked to me even though I didn't hear a voice and I I can't explain it. This is the first time I'm telling anyone about it publicly. I literally felt like I was being pushed into the couch, like I felt my body sinking into the couch. I I felt like I was going to die. So once the experience was, I guess, over and I was able to fly off that couch, I was running into the regular part of the hotel room where my sister and her kids were sleeping. And there was a tiny little toddler bed that my nephew was on and I went to sleep on it with him because I couldn't handle being in that room. The next day, I was talking to my friend and my friend is the person who was able to get us that room. She gave me some insight because she actually asked me how things were in the morning. And I told her that I had this horrible experience and it's completely nonchalant. She said, oh, the thousand pound man. And I had never heard that before. And she said, the thousand pound man, the man who sits on your chest and holds you down while something's happening. She said, we think that he's probably protecting you, but everybody has a different opinion about it. So I told her, yeah, something was holding me down. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't scream. My abs actually hurt the next day and my throat hurt from like, it felt like I was screaming all night, but I couldn't scream. Nobody heard me say anything. So I don't know what the heck it was. And I can't explain how I saw him. But this person who got me the room also told me a story that I don't know if it's true, but this person told me that that room had a history and that there was an exchange student staying there from another country and that that student's parents were checking on him every day. And for a couple days straight, he wasn't answering the phone. So they called the concierge and basically begged them to go check on him. And they said, well, he's an adult. We don't bother. And they finally convinced them. And when they did go into the room, they found his head in a trash can in the corner of the balcony on the floor and nothing else was there, only his head. And if this is true, that find, that piece of evidence was in the corner of the room where this shadow person was crouched down, digging around, looking for something under this table. Now, again, I don't know if that part of the story is true. I have no proof about it, but it does sound a little too matchy-matchy with what I experienced and what I saw when I was talking to her about what I went through and I told her I walked into that room and I felt like something was wrong, like it didn't belong there. Her eyes kind of opened up and she said, you're right, it didn't belong there. It wasn't part of the original hotel. It used to be open and they just closed it up to make it a room because there were too many problems with people complaining about stuff happening on the balcony people complaining about noise or what have you. 
something about that balcony. It was a, it's very low. Like people would jump out to go to the beach, but there were a lot of issues with people kind of getting a little too riled up and rowdy in there. So they finally just closed that one off. Of all the rooms on that floor, they closed that one off. And she said that it was just kind of weird that I recognized that something was wrong about that room. That's the whole story. I had a lot of experiences in Hawaii and a lot of experiences in my life, but this is really, really far up there as one of the most terrifying moments I think I've ever had, and I wouldn't want to experience something like that again. Thank you so much. The Thousand Pound Man. I've never heard it referred to as that before. I kind of like it. Thanks for the entry, Celise. Now, if you'll allow it, I'll be curt here. This sounds like a classic sleep paralysis case to me, and I normally shy away from sharing those entries. I've got them saved for something coming up a little later. But this story also included a few other elements that push it from the category of sleep disorder to the realm of paranormal experience. The premonition that the room was added later was certainly impressive. And the fact that the hotel's gory story centers around the very corner in which Celise had her experience. That detail is uncanny and unsettling. Now, we did our due diligence here. Both Delaney and I searched for a news story that supported the claims made by the hotel staff member. But with limited information, we were unable to verify that any exchange student was ever decapitated in any hotel room in that state let alone the particular hotel that Celise stayed in. But just because we didn't find a story doesn't mean that it didn't exist. And even if Celise had sleep paralysis, it doesn't mean that something strange didn't also occur that evening. And that's at least how it seems. Now perhaps we'll get lucky here. Maybe we have some locals out there that can dig deeper on this story to let us know if there's any truth in it. That would certainly lend credence to Celise's story. A story that we thank her again for sharing here with us. Well, folks, that's the end of tonight's road. Keep listening past the theme song and ad for more content. But for everyone else, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show, wherever that sort of thing is possible. And while you're at it, give us a follow on our social media accounts. And by all means, don't forget about YouTube. Don't forget you can catch Monsters Among Us on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9pm at Sundown 96.6 Digital Radio. And beginning this Saturday at 11pm Eastern, visit the unxnetwork.com to listen to us in our brand new slot there at the UNX. And we certainly appreciate both stations for hosting. Now, finally this evening, tonight's score was brought to you by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Do your best to keep it spooky out there. And I hope you all have a great night.
to license them. Now, for those of you that just discovered this little Easter egg, welcome. We've actually been meeting here for a few years now. An extra little story at the end. Sort of like a bonus french fry in the bag. Or when you run your finger along a cake batter ball and collect the last gooey bite. Just a little something extra from me to you. And it's here that I like to play the strangest of the strange. The weirdest of the, well, weird. And tonight is no exception. And I'm going to caveat this call by saying that I'm highly dubious of its authenticity. As anyone should be who finds himself listening to this mysterious entry from an anonymous source. Hello, Derek. I have something relatively interesting, and I hope that you pass it along to your listeners. I am a time traveler. I have recently come back from the year 2045. I cannot give too much information on this first call, but I can promise you that I will call back on subsequent trips in the future. Please put this out on one of your episodes as I will be bringing back knowledge to the world needs from the future. Maybe he can tell me if the Bengals ever win the Super Bowl. No, I didn't edit the call in any ways. The pauses were all part of it. So either he didn't know what he was going to say, or that's just how they speak in the future. Now I did do a little digging and no other calls from this number were made to the hotline. And to this date, I still haven't found any other entries from this particular caller. So I assume he didn't make it back. Either way, thanks caller, I suppose. And welcome to the Beyond. Now tonight's Beyond is a little bit different. Instead of your typical extension of this content, I'm offering up something unusual. Over an hour of my interview with the very first Mirrored Men witness. A friend of mine from back in college. Now I'll be back next week with the normal content. But I think you're really going to enjoy this unique angle. Now, if you don't have access, simply visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast. Then join any of the levels there, because tonight I'm making this extended episode available to all Patreon levels, even the $1 ad-free level. And now, Patreon allows for a free seven-day trial, so you have absolutely no excuse for missing this exclusive interview with my friend and the very first Mirrored Men witness featured on this program. Ladies and gentlemen, my interview with Mr. Matt Bagel. Well, Matt, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, it's been a number of years since we've spoken directly. I know we've talked online and through Instagram and stuff like that, but it's been a number of years since we've seen each other, hasn't it? It's been a very, very long time, and uh, yeah, I mean, literally close to a decade at least. And first and foremost, thanks for having me back on the show. Like, I'm, I'm really. I'm really excited to dive into this. You know, we've been uh, we've been like back and forth. As you said, over the years, we've talked and texted and 
talk to each other on Facebook and that kind of stuff. But we really haven't like reconnected on, on this particular thing in, in quite a long time, and I'm really excited to revisit it. Yeah, a lot has happened since you've been on the show last. Uh, mm-hmm. It was about six years ago.